on this Wednesday, October the 16th in the year of our Lord 2019. It's Bible Study Wednesday, and we're taking a look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I'm Tom Baker, and you're listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday. The Bible study, we have people who are in churches or at homes together. They listen to me for about 25 minutes, and then they talk about it afterwards. If you ever have a topic that you would like me to deal with, don't hesitate to email me at longgospel at longgospel101.com. Philippians chapter 3. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, obviously. And he says, as he's getting near the end, although there's another chapter after chapter 3, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. What Paul is saying is, I'm not going to be giving you new ideas that you haven't heard from me already. But this is what Jesus has told us. And why is it safe for you to hear this? Well, what happened to people who just ignore God's word? They're admonished to remember it. But I'll tell you, this is why we have sermons, worship services every week. Because these reminders of what is true helps you against the devil. And it also comforts you when there appears to be no comfort around. And so this is what Paul, I, I understand, is talking about this is safe for you. Why do they need to hear this? Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, what's he talking about? Well, dogs were well known for eating the flesh of others. In fact, after a crucifixion, people were often left on the cross and they would be eaten by the dogs. And you would say, well, a dog is pretty short. Well, the cross is never as high as you often see it pictured. It was only at the most maybe in length six feet, and the body was kind of, the knees were curled around it, so it was just kind of easy for dogs to get to that. Look out for the evildoers. These obviously are people who are doing evil, And look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, if we said that today, people would be wondering, what are you talking about? Uh, Are you talking about uh, people who mutilate their own flesh or wear tattoos or things like that? No. This was a phrase referring to people, particularly in the church, who had been Jewish then Christian, and thought that in order to be a Christian, you still have to do circumcision. In other words, they were taking a look at the Old Testament laws and expected that Christians would follow them 
and not making the proper distinction between laws that are moral, which we all need to continue to follow, but laws that were civil or ceremonial, we no longer need to follow. Therefore, those of the mutilation, those of the circumcision were causing problems in the church. And that's why Paul says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, when did that occur? Elsewhere, Paul talks about that we were circumcised with the waters of baptism and that, therefore, this was a very, very important sacrament that God has given us in order particularly for our children to take them out of the kingdom of Satan and bring them into the kingdom of God, the Holy Christian Church. And we, therefore, with that sacrament of baptism, now worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean, you glory in Christ Jesus? Well, have you ever gloried in your parents? Because they give you free food, free clothing, a free bed, free transportation, and at Christmas all kinds of free gifts. That, that's what the term glory here is. That glorying in Christ Jesus means, and this was what is followed in verse 3, we put no confidence in the flesh. Now, he's referring not only, you know, you can circumcise yourself. That still doesn't mean anything. Many of the people taken into Babylonian captivity had been circumcised, but they had no proper faith. They were worshiping other idols, and they were thinking that just by, like that Pharisee in Luke, who says, thank God I'm not like that tax collector, because I... And he could have added circumcision. He talks about tithing and fasting, thinking thereby that by the wonderful ceremonial laws, that's how he gets saved. That is wrong. That's putting confidence in the flesh and not glorying in Christ Jesus. Then Paul goes on, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. So if you folks who think that you're so good in the flesh, boy, I can outdo you. I have more. And then he starts listing them, listing them. Circumcised on the eighth day. See, that's when the males were circumcised on the eighth day. And he had been circumcised. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, that's referring back, of course, to Abraham. As to the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees really believed that by their obedience to the ceremonial laws, that that's what made them right with God. And how about zeal? You, you can believe a lot of doctrine, but if you don't have zeal, Paul had zeal, Z-E-A-L, because he was a persecutor of the church. And then as to righteousness under the law, blameless. When we talk about the distinction between law and gospel, 
we're not really referring to the content. What is law? What is gospel? We're, we're referring to the application. In, in other words, if you live under the law, you live under the assumption that your works are going to make a difference as to whether you go to heaven or hell. And so was he righteous under the law? And Judaism thought primarily of the ceremonial laws. Well, he was blameless. There was nothing that Paul wasn't doing according to the ceremonial laws. So he has all of these great works he did So he was far greater than a lot of people with all of these qualifications. And then he says, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Why would he do that? For the sake of Christ, he says. Now, what does that mean? For the sake of Christ, who came and did what Paul was unable to do. Yeah, you you can follow outwardly the law, but can you follow it inwardly? Can your motivation be always appropriate? No, a, a lot of times following the law and bragging about it meant you were doing it out of self-interest, not out of for the sake of Christ. But Paul now, having been converted, recognizes that all of those good things, Hebrew Hebrews, Pharisee, zealous, they were nothing in comparison to what Christ Jesus had done for him. And therefore, verse 8, I count everything loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, a lot of times the word know really can be a synonym for the word faith. Believing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Now, remember, he uses the name Jesus. That was the name he was given, Jesus of Nazareth. But he refers to him as Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah. And he calls him my Lord, which means he's God. So just in those Four words, Christ Jesus, my Lord, he really summarizes the purpose of Christ. Then he says, for his sake. Now, that's for the sake of Christ. In other, in other words, in being able to share the message of Jesus Christ, what has been the result? I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain, that I may gain Christ. Now, we need to look at that a little closer because Paul was really looked up to when he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, a lot of people had respect for him. Uh, they had sent, us, sent him uh, to Damascus in order to imprison and murder even more Christians. But all of this reputation he he had, all of this, the way people looked at him with great respect, he counts that as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, you may get the idea that when he says that I may gain Christ, that that's something that he does to gain Christ. No, it's kind of 
let me use another analogy. Uh, when I was a, a young child in, in the family, uh, I suffered, one could say, the loss of all things. I was taken to the dentist, didn't like that at all. I was given shots, you know, insul- not insulin, but other things uh, keep me healthy. But all of this was rubbish in order that I could gain being a child of that family. And, and therefore, I learned to appreciate that. And when I had children, we did the same with them. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. Reminds you of Luke 15. Jesus finds the sheep, puts it on his shoulders. The next point is really important. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, here's a great distinction between living under the law and living under the gospel. When you live under the law, you believe you're saved by your obedience. But when you're living under the gospel, you recognize that God saves you because he looks at your faith which, by the way, you didn't come up with. It was given to you by the Holy Spirit and accounts you as righteous. That happened all the way back in the Old Testament. Adam and Eve were declared righteous because of their trust in the promise of God in Genesis 3.15. Abraham believed that, yes, he and Sarah were going to have a child, even though Sarah was way past childbearing age. And God said, therefore, I consider you to be righteous not because of his work, but because of faith. And what's faith in Christ? It's not believing that he existed or that he became a human being or he died on the cross or rose from the dead. It's believing the promises connected to those events. That's really, really important to understand. You want to bring someone to faith, the gospel is about the promises connected to the historical events considering Jesus Christ. So, I'm righteous from God. He declared me righteous, and that depended on my faith, which God had given me. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, it didn't matter how Paul was going to die, any way possible, but he would then attain the resurrection from the dead. Attain is best understood as received. I will receive the resurrection from the dead, and it doesn't matter if I'm suffering here or however I'm going to die. And we know that Paul died a martyr's death. Verse 12. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect. See, this is really interesting. God regards us as righteous, even though he also regards us as a sinner. In fact, there's a Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator, which means 
at the very same time that you are righteous, just, you are also a sinner. This is not found in any other religion. To be righteous in any other religion in the world, you have to get rid of your sin. But no, Paul hasn't obtained this perfect righteousness in heaven. But he's going to press on to make it my own because I'm doing a lot of good works. No, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You you cannot talk about proper religion without talking about Christ Jesus. He comes in everywhere. And so even the change in Paul from that road to Damascus experience, from unbelief to faith, he continues in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. See, he didn't do it on his own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What does he mean about forgetting what lies behind? How many times do Christians have trouble sleeping at night because of some worry they have? It could be a monetary worry. It could be about losing their house. It could be about a sin that they've done, etc. Guess what? According to Jeremiah in Hebrews, God forgets your sin. Not in the sense of not knowing it, but in the sense of not holding you accountable. That's what is meant by God forgetting what lies behind you. And therefore, when you're in Christ, how many times do children really feel good when they are able to, to make their parents smile, maybe when they're in a uh, baseball game or running and they do their best or bring home grades that are much better than they were last time. See, that's the goal that we have in the secular world, but the goal in the spiritual world is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, verse 15, let those of us who are mature, think this way. Paul makes a big difference between those who are on the milk of the word and the meat of the word. The milk of the word, for example, in teaching children in Sunday school, you really need to stay on the basis of the milk of the word because they don't sometimes understand the deeper insights of the scripture. But let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, just read Ephesians. We're saved by grace, through faith, not on account of works, lest anyone should boast. That's how God reveals when we are getting near sin and unrepentance. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And that attainment has been on the shoulder of Jesus Christ. When the lost sheep is found, Jesus puts it on his shoulders as the shepherds and carries it home. And we can say that the sheep attained 
getting home. But it wasn't because the sheep found himself, walked home, he was carried by Jesus. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, the Apostle Paul's example was not perfection. He said it isn't, but it was one of a life of repentance. And that's the example we are to follow in recognizing our sin, being contrite over it, and then confessing that Jesus Christ forgives our sin. Verse 18, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. That was occurring in the Apostle Paul's day, namely those of the circumcision group. It certainly is occurring in our day, 2019. We've got um, women pastors who are atheists. We've got all kinds of immorality going on among people in the church, thinking that the laws of God in the Old Testament don't apply to them anymore. These are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Well, why do you think congregations don't want to get rid of women who have become atheists who are their pastors? Because then they are not judged by such a woman pastor. Because how can a woman pastor who's an atheist judge him on the basis of anything? Evolution has no morality to it at all. It's survival of the fittest. And so they glory in their shame. They don't want a pastor who tells them what John the baptizer was telling them, that they are sinners and in need of repentance. And instead, they had their minds set on earthly things. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. See, we're thinking of the things above. We're thinking of God's word. That's kind of above the world. And that's where our citizenship is. The kingdom of heaven, which is a holy Christian church here on earth. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I thought we already had Jesus Christ. Paul now is talking about Judgment Day. We will await Jesus as our Savior. And what will he be doing? Verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Since the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, the human body becomes sick, it ages, it grows old. It's really a lowly body compared to the body of Jesus Christ. And we will be like his glorious body. No aging and no sin, no disease, and no death. So we're going to be like his glorious body. How? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 
that power, that dynamite that Jesus has. He enables him to subject all things to himself. He can take water and change it into wine instantaneously, which usually takes the atomic force of a bomb, that, that much energy. And he just does it with his word. Remember, this is the same Jesus who created all things in the world, according to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. So by this power, by this strength, by this authority, he will subject all things to himself, and therefore you also will be subject to him. And that will be wonderful. As we look back on our parents, many a time we are very happy that we are subject to them because through them we have been given many, many blessings. And a lot of times we don't recognize it while we're getting the blessings, but as we look back over it and then also consider that the blessings we continue to give to our children and they will give to their children. This all comes from Jesus Christ, who has subjected all things to himself. To be subject to Jesus is a humbling act because this is a recognition that he is the one that provides us with every blessing that we received. And even when things don't go right in our life, he makes sure they still work out to our good. Romans 8.28. That's the God that we have. That's the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Philippians chapter 3, I think is a wonderful example of what Paul is saying to the church to beware of those who are evil and teaching false doctrine and to stick to the word of God, for there we find our salvation. Tomorrow, Rumination Thursday, Wes Reimnitz is back. Till then, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.